congratulations, he and Rebecca, last week. And so we're excited. You can clap for Ryan. It's okay to clap for Ryan. And Rebecca, too. Everything's good? Good. If you have your Bibles, if you will turn to Ephesians, the second chapter, Ryan kind of sang a theme song for us. If you did not catch it, but one of the songs that he sang real prominently displayed the message, But God. And this morning, we begin a new sermon series that I've entitled, But God. I've heard lots of different things. I've heard some of the kids were afraid that I was de defacing God. I was saying, But God, B-U-T-T, -T, God. And I'm, that's not what we're doing, I promise you. We are looking at the two probably most important words that you can find in Scripture almost. And I'll explain that to you over the next seven to eight weeks as we look at different titles in this. Uh, this morning I'm calling the sermon Shocking News. Shocking News. But over the next few weeks we'll look at uh, um, But God from the standpoint of rich in mercy, turns evil into good, overcomes death, takes over when you can't, reveals himself to you, and possibly a couple of others. God has just really laid this on my heart, and I want to share this with you. I've probably never been more excited about a sermon series that I want to share with you, my family, uh, that God has laid on my heart. Listen, when I was a little kid, you probably don't have to, uh, to work very hard to figure this out, and you may have been the same way, but when I was a little kid, I was a brat sometimes. And uh, I remember very well when I was about six or seven years, Dr. Head, you'll appreciate this, because um, my mom had come in to tell me uh, I had not been feeling well, and my mom had come in to tell me that she had made a doctor's appointment for me, and I did what most little six- or seven-year-olds probably do. I ran into the bathroom and locked the door because uh, I did not want to go to the doctor because I knew what that meant, probably going to the doctor. And so uh, in all my wisdom of a six- or seven-year-old little boy, I went in and locked the door, and my mom was on the other side of the door, and she was saying, unlock that door. You have to go to the doctor. You will feel better if we take you to the doctor. And I said, I'm not going to the doctor. I'm not getting a shot. And she said, unlock that door. You unlock that door. You are going to the doctor. <laughs> I'm not unlocking the door. I am not going to unlock the door. Unfortunately, at six uh, years old, I did not remember that not only did we have that door there that went into the bathroom, but there was a door back over there that came into the bathroom. And my mom said, unlock that door. And about that time, I felt my dad grab me here at the waist because he had come in the back door and I'd forgotten that there was a back door. And they grabbed me and they unlocked the door and they took me to the doctor. Now, when I got to the doctor, uh, something happened that needed to happen when I got to the doctor. Number one, he diagnosed what my problem was. I had a really bad sore throat, and he knew that I did need a shot. And he gave me a shot of penicillin. And I'll never forget the screaming that I did as I got the shot, but I'll never forget either that just a few hours later I was feeling better than I had felt in the last few days. And it was just a couple of days later that I was back to myself riding bikes and doing all the fun things that, that, uh, that medicine allowed me to do. Now, I tell you that story because this morning is going to be kind of a rough deal. Uh, I'm, I make no bones about what I'm getting ready to share with you. 
because what I'm getting ready to share with you is something that we all need to hear and we all need to be reminded of. And it's something that we don't like talking about very much, and that's that we're sick and we need a doctor and we need the help that only Jesus Christ can give us. So I, I want to tell you the good news first. So in Ephesians chapter 2, before we start with verse 1, I want you to look down at verse 10 because it kind of gives a foundational understanding of why we struggle. Look at, look at verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now listen, this, this is the really good news. This is the sucker that Dr. Head gives you after you've gotten a shot and you've quit screaming and crying and you're beginning to feel better. This is the really good news, that you were created in God's workmanship and you were created to do good works, which God prepared for you in advance to do. But the problem is we don't understand the beginning parts of that. We always want to look at this part of it. You think about our church and think about who we are as a people and, and what we are trying to accomplish as uh, God's people in the place of Garrison and Nacogdoches that he has placed us in. We, we are created to do good works, and I could sit here and I could list for you the good works that God is trying to help us to do as we help with Glory Gang and as we reach out to our community and as we're involved in Love, Inc., and as we do so many different things within our community, and you could take it outside of our community and look around the state. I mean, in just a, a couple of months, Clint will be taking a group in March down to Houston to help with some hurricane relief, and you know very good and well we just came back from Jamaica where we reached out not only outside of our community and not only outside of our state, but we reached outside even of, of our country to another country, and we've already been to Ecuador, getting ready to go to Ecuador again. I'll, I'll share that with you in just a few minutes. And so there's this image, rightfully so, to partially, that we are good people doing good works. No doubt about that. I, I believe that with all my heart, and that's what God created us to do. But when you back up to the beginning of Ephesians, the second chapter, as Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus. He doesn't start off with, hey, you're good people created to do God's work, uh, made in his image to do these wonderful things. But what he starts off with, look in verse 1, is this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And, and this is where I have to lay the foundation of everything that we're going to talk about for the next seven, eight weeks. We have to lay the foundation. And Paul begins to lay it here. And the foundation is this. He's going to use two words here that just explicitly tell you and me that there's a falsehood that's built within us that the world wants us to believe. And that's that we're good people. And that's not true. I mean, I, I can't be any more honest with you, and I, I can't hammer this home any more than I can to tell you that you are not good. Inherently, you are not 
a good person. Now, that breaks my heart to say that to you because I love you, and I've enjoyed uh, my time loving on you and getting to know you and, and, and fellowshipping with you and doing good things with you that God created us to do. But the truth is you're inherently evil, and so am I. And we have got to do something about that inherent evil in our lives. Let me, let me focus on two words with you this morning as we lay this foundation. I promise at the end I've got a sucker waiting for you. I promise that. But for right now, you've got to bear with me for about 15 or 20 minutes when I hammer home on two words that you need to see. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, As for you. And if you're going to circle a word there, circle the word you. Now, Paul was not referring to you, the church. He wasn't saying, oh, you, the church at Ephesus. He was saying you. And he was talking about the individual you, me. He's talking about all of us. He was saying, as for you. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is we personally don't want to believe that we're the problem. We always think that somebody else is the problem. We always think that somebody else is the bad person, not us. And we always begin to put out you know, our, our feelers and our thoughts as we try to reconcile what's the matter with the world, and we can find all different kinds of people to blame. Now, if I told you that Hollywood is the problem, all the people that live in Hollywood and all the liberals that live there and the way they live their lives and do everything, you would be going, you betcha, that's the problem. Hey, I, I understand why you think that's the problem. But the problem, listen, is not Hollywood. The problem is you. Look, you, I mean, we grew up, if, if you're my age, we grew up believing Russia is the problem. Communism is the problem. We used to have drills. Do you remember if you were my age when you were in elementary school, we used to have the drills where they would set off the bells and you would go get under your desk and you hide in your desk. And they, they drilled into you and into me that Russia is evil. And, it, you know, you cannot misunderstand me or misinterpret what I'm saying. Russia is a bad place, but Russia is not the problem. You are the problem. And please hear me when I say this, that when I'm saying you're the problem, I'm talking about myself too. We are all born inherently evil. Some of you have struggled in your marriage and you think the spouse is the problem. It wasn't your problem, it was somebody else's problem. They were evil. You know, if, you, if you're in college and you know, you've got a bad roommate, that, that's the problem. The roommate's the problem. Or the professor, you, you remember that. I've thrown that out multiple times in my life. I would have passed that class except for the professor. He was a horrible professor. And I, I get all that. I mean, sure there are bad professors, and sure there are, are, are bad roommates, and sure there are bad people in Russia and all that stuff, but you understand that inherently what Paul is trying to point out to us here is that for you, you were dead in your transgressions. And what Paul is trying to get you and me to quit doing, which we have done for 
thousands of years and we will do until Christ comes back to take us back home with him is we will always look for somebody else to blame. It is our human nature. I mean, think about everything that we do in life. When we have an accident, it's almost always somebody else's fault. You know, if you wrecked a car, you know, the, the first question that usually comes out, out of your mouth, like when, when my kids had an accident and I, Evan had not driven too long and he was involved in his first accident, and the, you know, the first words out of your mouth, if you're a good dad, is, are you okay? And the second words out of your mouth is, whose fault was it? And I remember every time talking to Evan that he did exactly what I did, which he would say, and he would say something like, well, this lady was doing this, and when she did this, then this happened, and it caused me to do this. And so what he was looking for was some way to put the blame on somebody else. And I get that. That's our human nature. And Paul is pointing it out here. He's saying in verse 2, I mean in chapter 2, verse 1, he's saying, as for you, helping you and me to remember that there's nobody else to blame, that you cannot lay your sin at anybody else's feet. We all want to do it. I mean, it, it would be so much easier if we could pick somebody else to blame for our sin. But there's really nobody else to blame. It's you. I love that he uses that word you. Instead of saying something that kind of put us into a group. Because if he put us into a group, if he said, well, it's Americans, they all sin, or it's Japanese people, they all sin, or it's uh, homosexuals, they all sin, or if it's adulterers, they're, they're the ones who are dead in their trespasses. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't point out specific sins or specific groups of people or anything else. He just says you, which ultimately means that every single person is a sinner and that there's nobody else to blame for that sin. Then look at what he goes on to say. And as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. So we're, we're pointing out two falsehoods today as we, we lay the foundation for beginning this series called But God. And the first falsehood is this, is that we want to blame somebody else, but the scripture uh, adamantly points out that you are the reason. That you are the reason. And the second falsehood is this, that you are dead. When, when Paul speaks of evil and sin, Paul wants us to know that we are dead. Because what we want to believe about ourselves is even if we want to believe, well, we're the problem, we don't want to believe that the condition of our heart is dead. We want to believe that we're, we're bad people, but we can make ourselves good. You know, when, when I was the little boy locking myself uh, in, in the bathroom, you know, when my, when my dad came in there and grabbed me, and, and when my dad helped drag me to the doctor, and when, when I finally got the shot, and I started acting more like I should have been acting all along, then I want to believe, well, I, I wasn't that bad to begin with. And even though I was that bad, I, I've, I've changed now, and, and I'm better now. So I, I should be forgiven for what I've done. And thankfully, my parents were forgivers. Uh, 
but it did not erase the fact that I had been bad. I, I remember very well, and I'm telling on myself all morning long, but I remember very well when, when, when I was actually almost the same age. I was about eight years old, and, and um, my brother and sister were older than me. My brother's eight years older than me, and my sister's 10 years older than I am. And, and they were already in high school, and I was just eight years old, and we were getting up one morning, getting ready to go to school. My mom kept saying to me, you need to hurry. We need to get uh, Jimmy and Susie to school because she would, uh, I would jump in the car and they would take them to school. High school started before elementary school did. And so I would jump in the car with them because she would not leave me at home by myself and take them to school. But I was fiddling around that morning and not doing anything. And I, I remember she kept saying, you've got to get ready. You've got to hurry. You've got to hurry. And I just kept playing and playing and playing. And finally she came in and, and put the ultimate threat on me. She said, if you do not get ready immediately, I'm going to whip you. And um, I remember, I, I just remember that. I, I remember uh, not getting ready in time. And I remember her being very angry with me. And finally, she put me in the car, literally put me in the car and drove my brother and sister to school. And what I did the whole time while we were going to school was I tried to butter my mom up. I tried to just chatter up and visit with her and talk about how much fun we were having and all kinds of things. I mean, I just went round and round and round. And we literally drove back into our driveway and I thought, man, I have got this covered because my mom's been laughing with me. We've been talking the whole time. My brother and sister made to school on time. <laughs> And we are all in good shape. And we walked inside the house, and all of a sudden, I was on the ground being whipped. I'm sorry, I know that's CPS cases right now and all that kind of stuff. But you can't find my mom. She's gone on to be with the Lord. And uh, she, you can't get her in trouble for it now. But she did exactly what I needed. And what always sticks out to me in, in, in that process of thinking through that memory that's in my life is that even though I had been bad and tried to be as good as I could be for an hour while we were driving to school and doing all the things that we were supposed to, even though I turned good for a little while, she still punished me for the fact that I'd been bad. That's what Paul is telling you and me here in Scripture. He's saying, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Listen, the condition of your heart and my heart is dead. You, you don't have to have a doctor tell you the spiritual condition of your heart. You, you need somebody who understands Scripture, and almost all of you understand Scripture enough to know that Paul is telling you, let me tell you about the condition of your heart right now. The condition of your heart is dead. Nobody likes to hear this, but sin is who you are. I mean, this, this part of you, who you are in your life, this, this makeup of you is sinful. It, it's who you are. You know, you want to be known, you know, you want to be known as the athlete or the scholar or the good husband or the good preacher, or the good deacon, or the good employee, or the good student. You want to be known as something. But what you're known as, and what I'm known as, is a sinner. 
That's what we're known as. It's a, it's a frustrating thing, but it's a truthful thing. Listen, I, I've written down a couple of things here that I, I want to make, make sure you hear me say and make sure that I convey correctly. We are not sinners because we sin. We're not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we're sinners. That may get kind of confusing to you, but I want you to hear me say it again. We are not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. You sin because you were born a sinner. That, that's the reason you sin. Listen, from the, from the minute you were born, you were born into sin. Uh, this, this past weekend, when I got to go hunting, um, there was a young man that's my son's age down there uh, that we've known for a long time. His name is Taylor Jones, and Taylor has a, a little boy named Merritt, and Merritt is two years old, and Merritt's a miracle. I, I visited him when he was in Texas Children's Hospital, and they weren't sure he was going to live because he had an internal problem. And it, it really is a miracle. I, I'd love for Taylor to come tell you this story sometime. But Taylor and Emily were taking him uh, into Ch Texas Children's, and the doctors were looking at what they were needing to do. They, they thought, and I, I can't do this all in medical terms for you, but they thought he had a, a, a duct from his liver that was blocked, and it was, it was literally possibly uh, a great possibility going to take his life if they couldn't do something with him. And so they, they did all this work up on him, and they decided the only thing to do was this surgery, uh, and it was a very risky surgery, but they thought he needed it, and that was what was going to help him because he was not growing well, he was not advancing uh, in weight and all those kinds of things. And so I, I was down there with Taylor and Emily uh, and their parents, who were, Laura and I are close friends with their parents, Ricky and Patricia, and I was down there the morning that they were going to have the surgery, and I, I literally saw the doctor come out after we had prayed, and lots and lots of people had been praying, literally saw the doctor come out and say, well, we opened Merritt up, and what we thought was not there that needed to be corrected was there and is working perfectly fine. It's just a little bit smaller than everybody else's, but we think we can just leave him alone, and he's going to do wonderful. And sure enough, here we are two years later. Uh, Merritt's a two-year-old, and we're down at the ranch hunting, and, and Merritt's running all over the place, this healthy little two-year-old boy. Just a miracle, a, a, a flat-out miracle. But I'm, I'm telling that story because I watched Taylor uh, with his boy, so sweet, such a good dad, doing what good dads do uh, all the time with two-year-olds. You know what Taylor did almost the three or four? whole time the three or four days we were down there it's going no merit no no merit no 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 merit no merit and I finally <laughs> I said Taylor is his name merit or no merit because I, I'm struggling with this right now and he said I feel like that's all I say I feel like all I say all the time is no and I said that's how it is do you understand that's how it is with God and with you God all the time is looking at you and he's looking at me and he's going, no, Bobby, don't do that. No. 
no, stay away from that. No, don't do that. And the reason that he's doing that is because he's my protector, he's my lover, he's, he's my grace giver. But the reason I'm looking to do things where God has to say no is because my heart is sinful and it's dead. And so all the time, God is coming to me and he's having to say no. Now, trust me, there's lots of times, and I don't want you to flip this unduly wrong, but there's lots of times when God is going to say yes to you too. He's going to say, yes, I want you to do this, and yes, I want you to do this. But what he's fighting with all the time, and you have to catch this, what he's fighting with all the time is your dead heart, your sinful heart that's dead. Listen, you, you get this, but I, I, I want to make sure you hear me say this. We deserve the wrath of God. We absolutely deserve the wrath of God. But here's the shocking news. Remember I told you the, the sermon's called Shocking News? The shocking news is this, and you're, you're going to find it for the rest of the sermon series. But here's the shocking news. The shocking news is found in these two beautiful words. But God. Look at the scripture. Ephesians 2, chapter 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now in work and all those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. Remember, that's what we've been talking about. We were all dead in our sins. And all of us used to live there at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Remember, I just said that. We are all deserving of the wrath of God. Now listen to me as I read this next scripture. Verse 4. In the NIV, it says it not the way I want it to be said. If you have the New American Standard, it says it the way I want, to be, I want it to be said. And the way I really believe it should be said. You see, when, when they translate scriptures and you end up with the NIV or the NASB or the New King James, or uh, scholars get all together and they decide whether to put words in or not words in. And, and I'm not talking about inspired or not inspired, but I'm talking about they think that there's sometimes better ways for the words to flow where it'll make more sense, believing that all of the scripture is inspired. And in the NIV, they, choose, they chose in verse 4 to put but, and then say, because of his great love for us, like we don't understand that. But in the NASB, the way that I really like it, it says, but God. And the reason I really like it like that is because it doesn't need to talk about his great love for us at that moment. It doesn't need to talk about how much he cares for you and me at that moment. What it needs to talk about is that we deserve the wrath of God because of our sinful hearts and because of our dead hearts and because of our human nature, but God. That's all that needs to be said because God is the intervener at that moment. God is the one who steps in and changes everything in your life, in my life. Man, those two words ought to hit you like a ton of bricks. 
that everything in your life was going wrong, everything in my life was going wrong, we were all going down the wrong path and we were all headed for destruction and we were all deserving of the wrath of God in our life. But God. But God. But God, because of His rich love for you, because of His mercy for you, He steps in and intervenes in your life and changes everything forever. I mean, you, you don't know this. You, you haven't felt this yet. And, it's probably because I haven't done a good job of conveying it to you yet, but you were just handed the sucker at the end of your doctor's visit. Amen. I'm telling you right now that everything that was in your life, everything that was signing your death declaration was changed when those two words were spoken. But God. Listen, I really want you to hear me say this. Absolutely hear me say this. There's a, there's a popular, and, and I, I, I hate to use this term because it's not a, not a correct term. There's a, well, I'll, I'll put it this way. There's a popular incorrect theology that's out there now called name it and claim it. It's a prosperity gospel. You, you've heard it before and you've heard people use it uh, horribly wrong because they'll say, well, you need a new boat? If you name it before God and claim it before Him, then you'll get a new boat. You need a new car? You name it before God and you claim it before God and you'll get a new car. You know, it, it just goes on and on. You know, need more money? Name it and claim it. He'll, he'll give you more money. Need to somebody pay your bills? Name it and claim it. He'll, he'll get it. You know, all that kind of stuff. You've, you've heard it before. It's a, it's a uh, you know, I, I make fun of it and I, I struggle with it, but it, it is, and you need to hear me say this, it is the most prevalent theology that's being presented in Africa right now. It's, a, it's the fastest growing theological understanding of the scripture in Africa right now. Why do you think that is? Because there's so many broken and poor people that want a God who will give them money or want a God that will give them things. I, I, I'm going to preach a sermon on this uh, sometime uh, soon. When, when we were in Jamaica, um, we, 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 um, Lonnie Traxler uh, made this statement. Boy, it really hit home with me. He said, we don't look into the face of God. We look at the hands of God. What will God give me? You know, what will God hand me? And, and we, that's what we look at. And God says, no, no. If you just look here and stare into this beautiful face of God, then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his beauty and grace. You won't need anything else. Now, I'm telling you about that name it and claim it theology because I hate it and I think it's from the pits of hell. But I want you to hear it because there is a name it and claim it theology. There is such a thing as a name it and claim it theology. 
Are you ready? Name your sin. Yeah, name your sin. Are you an adulterer? Well, you can claim it. You can claim but God. You know, I was an adulterer, but God. I was a cheater in school, but God. I got divorced, but God. And you think about, think about any sin you want to think about. I look at pornography, but God. I'm an alcoholic, but God. I'm telling you, fan. Friends, I, I'm telling you, church, I'm telling you people that I love very much, you cannot stand up today and name a sin that God doesn't say but God to. It's just not one. You, you may think you've been the worst person in the world, but I'm telling you, but God can stand in your way. He can break that power of sin and darkness that we sang about. That's the God that you worship. And once you come to the understanding that you are a sinner and that your heart is dead because of your sins, then you have the incredible ability to understand and claim that but God, who is rich in mercy, and has great love for you can change your direction forever. Forever. Listen to me. Sometimes, if not all the time, we let the past control our future. I, I can't help but believe that I'm speaking to a lot of people, if not everyone in here that struggles with the fact that they've done something in their past and right now it's controlling their future. But I want to tell you this from the bottom of my heart because it's scriptural that whatever happened here in the past, you can put but God and then the future is totally changed forever. Your past has no control over your future if you will put the words, but God, in between. Listen to this. This is Genesis 41, 15. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Listen, 2 Samuel. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he's my portion. 
Luke 16, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. This is the missions verse. 1 Corinthians. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God made it grow. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Sounds like he's describing all of us. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I don't mind being called a fool sometimes. I don't mind being called weak sometimes. Because the scripture said God will use me to change the world. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for the two, sometimes what we would call the two sweetest words in the scripture. But God, God, we thank you for your great love and your great mercy who would walk into our lives and you would change our hearts for good. God, there may be people within the sound of my voice this morning that have never had a but God moment. Father, they are dead in their sins and they're dead in their heart. And Father, they need the intervening power of Jesus Christ in their lives. Father, we pray that you would open their hearts to salvation this morning. That you would help them to seek out someone who could help them Find what it means to walk with Jesus Christ in the forgiveness of sins. But Father, I'm also convinced that there's other people within the sound of my voice this morning who need to have a but God moment. Father, they know they're a sinner and they know that they've been forgiven, but Father, they're not living the life that you've called them to live. They're living in the past instead of walking to the future. Father, may this morning be the morning that they have a but God moment. And they are reminded of how you changed them forever. Father, would you examine all of our hearts? Would you look within us and see where we need to be changed? Father, we love you and we thank you. And we praise your holy name for who you are in our lives. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.